0: Is your
1: host, Lee. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Quarterly Report. We've got a really fun show this week. Erica Fernandez from Black Sports Online will be stopping by. I'm going to talk to her about Errol Spence, Keith Thurman, and the entire welterweight division, as well as whether my Beloved New York Knicks should be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. All that. Plus, I'll recap the Grammys and tell you guys to calm down on the timeline after your favorite artist doesn't win an award. We all should know by now how the Grammys get down. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week: (laughs) first quarter. Never make a decision out of desperation. It's something that I had to learn you know, some years ago, and still, from time to time, have to remind myself, you know, I, I'm sure everyone listening to this pod can relate, you know, I guess, probably, like, eight, eight, seven years ago, you know, money was tight, I think it was, like, around the holidays, but I'm not certain, and, you know, those little, hey, uh, you need, you need an advance, cash advance things, you know, Montel Williams. Uh, You know, he's on the commercials selling this stuff. Well, I got caught up in that like about eight years ago. And I was like, man, I just need, you know, a few hundred dollars to hold me down until the holidays are over. And I'll pay him back. And I was desperate because I needed the money. And I did that. And it was such a dumb decision. Like now we all know the dangers of these like these loans, these cash advance places. But, you know, young and I was desperate. So I took out one of these things and then. You know, when it came back to pay, I had to pay all types of crazy money these people from another country I could barely understand, they coming at me, talking about how much money I owe them, it was such a dumb decision that I made. But I learned from it, right? Or at least I thought I did, right? I learned not to make a decision out of desperation. Maybe if you can't relate to that, we all can relate to this. You know, you're at home, you have a good night, but you know, you're at home by yourself and then you grab the phone, and you're looking through some of your old numbers, some old flings. And you see the one name, you know, that you used to mess with her back in the, back in the day. You know, y'all, y'all had a, a, a little fun fling or whatever. But you know that she's crazy. And you know that at the moment, you want to just hook up. So you're tempted to call her or text her. Like, hey, what's going on? You want to link up, whatever, whatever. But so the, the, the voice in your head is like, Slim, If you call her and you go forward with this move, it's going to take so much to get her back out of your life. Matter of fact, why do you even still have her phone number? That's the voice in your head when you know it's a mistake. You know you shouldn't call her, right? But you're desperate. You know you want some, you know, personal contact. You understand what I'm saying? saying? We all know what time it is. And you go ahead and call her or text her and you go down a rabbit hole once again. Again. Really easy to think, really easy to understand, but it's always, sometimes it's harder to actually implement. Never make a decision out of desperation. But every year during the NFL or NBA, more so the NBA, the NFL doesn't really have a lot of trades, but every year during the NBA deadline, it's always fun before any trade is made to look to to assess the league. And look at the teams who you know are desperate because every year a desperate team makes a move every single year without fail. Who's the general manager who is on the last year of his deal and you know he needs to get into the playoffs right to get an extension because no one wants to get fired. Everyone likes their job. But there's certain teams who, you know, they've got a playoff or bus mandate coming from the ownership. So you, you got to spot the mark, right? Find the find the GM that you know has to make the playoffs or else his job is on the line. And this year, that person, that coach also was Stan Van Gunney and the Detroit Pistons. You always got to find the team who's desperate. And the team who's desperate will, without without a doubt almost, be the team who's the most anxious, the most ready to make a deal. And oftentimes they're the team who makes the, the the move who acts out of desperation obviously i'm talking about the Blake Griffin trade and when when this trade comes out it came out on monday and it's funny because this happens all the time as well reporters and you know sources and uh analysts they'll always talk about certain trades right that that lead up to a deadline, like, oh, my, my sources are telling me that the Cavaliers are talking with the Clippers about DeAndre Jordan, and they'll talk it to death, and those trades never come to fruition, the trades that always happen are trades that come out of left field, you never know about it, Woj, I think he tweeted something about Blake Griffin um, going to Detroit, and then, like, less than an hour later, it happened. Like, that's how it always happens. Kyrie, nobody knew about Kyrie. Then all of a sudden, Kyrie came out. And then everybody's talking about, oh, well, the Spurs are interested in Kyrie and the Knicks are interested in Kyrie. And before you knew it, he got traded to the Celtics without anybody knowing. Everybody was talking about, oh, the Cavaliers want Paul George and this, that, and the third. And then before you knew it, he got traded to Oklahoma City. No one saw Oklahoma City coming. Same with Jimmy Butler and the Timberwolves. Jimmy Butler was apparently reportedly going to be traded to Boston. Same with Paul George over the summer, right? All the the times that people bring up trade scenarios, right, and they talk about it for a significant amount of time, you could almost always scratch that trade scenario off the list. Because the trades that usually happen, happen like the Blake Griffin trade happened. Just out of left field, you didn't see it coming. And as, as soon as you hear anything about it, the trade happens. But in any event, Stan Van Gundy, you know, his job is on the line. He's the head coach and president of basketball operations in Detroit. And since Stan has taken over in Detroit, they've been to the playoffs one time, yet they've increased their uh, payroll and have little to nothing to show for it. They've made some very questionable signings. They haven't really hit on any draft picks outside of Andre Drummond, and I don't think Stan Van was in Detroit when they uh, drafted Drummond. So Stan Van is feeling the heat. So you knew that he was going to make a move. You knew that he was anxious to get something going because he needed it. His job is on the line. And like I said, like that the theme of this entire first quarter is never make a decision out of desperation because although Stan Van Gundy got the best player in the trade, I don't know if it did anything for Detroit. Is anyone certain that the Pistons are a better team now than they were last week? They have more talent, and this is the thing that always, and I talked about this in previous episodes, a lot of times people confuse talent with production. Just because you're talented does not mean that you will produce more. There is a a long line of NBA players and teams and general managers who have made decisions and they have gotten talent but that talent didn't produce because it's easy to be fooled by talent. Someone can dribble between their legs so many times and somebody can run up and down the floor at blazing speed. You can be seduced. Blake Griffin puts up amazing stats. But the problem with the Pistons was that they had poor guard play. Their guards were awful. Their guards are so awful that Reggie Jackson, a player who is not very good, he gets injured, and now everyone in Detroit, every Piston fan at least, they can't wait until he returns because he's so much better than all the other options at guard. So the Pistons, who are amazing in their front court, partly because of Andre Drummond, but Tobias Harris had a decent, he's had a, a, a fine season this year. They trade Tobias Harris. They trade every Bradley, every Bradley who has an expiring contract, every Bradley who probably still has a large, you know, value across the league. Like you could have gotten a lot for Avery Bradley by himself, let alone packaging him with Tobias and a first round pick. And they trade all that and a second round pick, I believe, for Blake Griffin, Willie Reed, and I think uh I don't know, I don't know. I think there was another player thrown in to make the contracts match. Again, Blake Griffin is the best player in the trade. So if you look at it from that perspective, yeah, the Pistons did well. But Blake Griffin does not improve the Pistons' weakness. The Pistons cannot defend on the perimeter. Blake Griffin does not improve that. The Detroit Pistons cannot shoot. Blake Griffin, while he is a a fine shooter, Blake Griffin by no means is somebody who is going to be a knockdown three-point shooter or someone who can spread the floor for Andre Drummond. And the Pistons lack playmaking from the guard position and they still don't have that that's all of the the things that we know for certain but again Blake Griffin's a former all-star Blake Griffin is locked long term many people will try to spin this that the Pistons got the best player Blake Griffin will be able to attract free agents Blake Griffin will be able to attract fans and again I, I caution Blake Griffin is like a sports car. It's really fun at first, right? You, you get to race it, you see all the tricks, and it's amazing. It catches everybody's eye. You're a head turner. But that first time you got to take your, your sports car to get some work done, inevitably, more problems start to arise. And just like Blake Griffin, when he first came into the league, he's dunking on everybody, he's jumping over cars. Kenny Smith's got a choir singing, I Believe I Can Fly. You know what I'm saying? This lob city, he's dunking on Timothy Moscawolf, the whole nine, right? Everybody got caught up, and then Blake Griffin had a quadricep injury, and then Blake Griffin had a knee surgery, and then he had a hamstring, and then he punched the trainer in Los Angeles, and then he had another quadricep. and now Blake Griffin is in year one of a five-year, 170-plus million-dollar deal, and you—it's a reasonable. Discussion to have, like, how healthy will Blake Griffin be this year, let alone five years later or down the road? But Detroit panicked. Stan Van Gundy was desperate. He had to make a move. The Pistons currently are sitting outside of the playoff picture. So let's say everything goes well. Reasonably, considering, right? Washington is down without John Wall, so there's a there's a potential opportunity for Detroit to move up into the top eight seeds what's what's the most realistic expectation that anyone could have for Detroit did they get an eight or a seven spot does anyone think Detroit is going to be Boston in the seven game series because I don't not unless there's another move down the down the road but Blake Griffin and DeAndre Drummond or Andre DeAndre Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin it's fun to look at. It's fun to think about. Man, look at look at how big and how formidable their front line is. Just like it was with the Marcus Cousins and Anthony Davis last year when the Pelicans, they were desperate, right? I talked about this at the beginning of the quarter. Each year, next year, it'll be another team. Look at the team who's desperate. Look at the general manager or the head coach or the president of basketball operations who is feeling the most pressure because they will make the first move or the biggest move. Because they have to. And just like in life situations where you wanna you wanna talk to your old girlfriend, your ex, even though that voice in your head tells you, nah man, don't do it. Or you're in desperate need of some money, and you may get yourself caught up in a situation that you look back on being like, Hey, this that was not the move. Never ever make a decision out of desperation. Hopefully, you guys have decided on following this show on iTunes and telling all your friends about the quarterly report. If not, here's how you do it. All you have to do is go to iTunes, search in the podcast directory for the quarterly report. That's Q U A R T E R L E E. You'll see the icon with my face on the coin. Click on that subscribe. And while you're at it, please rate and review the show. Give me five stars. And more importantly, let me and let the world know what you think about the show. Write it down in the comment section, comment section rather. Let me know, let the world know your thoughts, what you like, maybe what you don't like about the show. It's all good. I just want to hear from you guys. All right, that was quarter number one. We're going to step outside of the sports world with quarter number two and discuss the Grammys. Second quarter. If you're anything like me, you're not really a fan of award shows. And you know, I'll even take it a step further. I'm not a fan of the idea of award shows and critics you know what i mean like if this movie wins an award it it somehow validates how good it is and you should see it if a critic says a movie's not good or a critic says a movie is unbelievable you know that we as a a viewing or a listening public should should make it a point to see it like you know i have my tastes and those are specifically toward me you know what i mean my tastes are that just that mine and i don't i shouldn't say i don't care but it doesn't matter um where you studied right how much you studied music or movie or television or whatever the case may be um or how credentialed or how you know how well respected you are in the industry you know i like what i like and i don't care who you are Just because you like something doesn't mean that I'm going to tailor my tastes to that. You understand what I'm saying? So the whole idea, that concept of this is a Grammy award winning album, so you should probably listen to it. That doesn't really move me. But the Grammys, unlike other award shows, they they are different because, you know, you have musicians performing. So I watch the Grammys for the performances. You know, many of the artists, I have no idea who they are many of the artists sing uh, music that generally speaking, I'm not necessarily a fan of, but I like to think of myself as a pretty open-minded person when it comes to music. So I enjoy watching the Grammys, unlike other award shows, because while like other award shows, I don't care who wins. I do enjoy seeing these artists perform at the highest stage. I think that's something that's pretty dope about it. And, It'll open you up to certain things that you may not otherwise hear. You know what I mean? There there'll be so many different acts, so many different genres of music. You may hear something that will catch your catch your eye, but catch your ear. And then it will open you up to a whole new, you know. A whole new opening of music, you know what I'm saying? And I think that's a super dope idea and concept. So much like many other people this past Sunday, I watched the Grammys and I'm going back and forth, you know, because At the time it started, I believe Oklahoma City and Philadelphia, they were still playing. And I was glued to that. But without fail, almost like clockwork. When the Grammys have, you know, when the Grammys are on television, there's always controversy on the timeline with your homeboys, with your homegirls, whatever the case may be. And this year was no different. Uh, I, I told you guys a few episodes back. The last episode of 2017, maybe that I thought uh, artist SZA that she had the best album of last year. So I was excited. I was happy for her, I should say, when she had like five nominations. But I knew. Just like if you're honest, you knew she wasn't going to win anything. It happens every year with the Grammys and every year people are so pissed off. They get so mad. And I guess my advice to everyone, if you do partake in the Grammys in their entire experience is not to have an invested interest understand especially when it comes to uh hip hop and urban music, urban you know this in p c black music right the Grammys go out of their way. I shouldn't say that the Grammys understand the power that hip hop music has the reach it has so you know, in years past, Beyonce will perform, right? And they'll tease Beyonce from the first opening credits, right? As soon as they do their intro, they're open. Beyonce, make sure you catch Beyonce's performance and Beyonce every hour, every commercial break, make sure you tune in for Beyonce, right? Because they understand how powerful she is and her music is in the fans, right? People love hip hop, R&B music. It's part, it's ingrained in our society, every single fabric. The problem is when it comes to appreciating the music on a large scale. And what do I mean by that? Beyonce, when, you know, she'll drop an album or Kendrick, right? They'll, they'll, they'll have an album and they'll clean up the black awards, right? And not even Kendrick for real. Remember when Macklemore, (laughs) Macklemore won best hip hop album over Kendrick. And everybody was like, bro, what are y'all doing? You know what I'm saying? So, nine times out of ten, Beyonce will clean up. Best R&B, best adult, contemporary R&B, best R&B vocal, R&B album of the year, the whole nine. All the quote-unquote urban awards. They'll show respect. But the moment Beyonce or Kendrick or SZA is nominated for a category that cross genres, right? Best new artist, album of the year, song of the year, record of the year. Oh man, we don't win those. <laughs> it takes it takes Andre three thousand trying to sound like Prince for us to get that man. It takes White breaking Lorna Hill's heart for us to get an album of the year. And that's cool. Like the years of me getting upset. They're long since passed. I'm a grown man now. I'm 35. I know the game. I know the rules. Again, I watch the Grammys for the performances. I don't care who wins. You know, because as someone who is part of a generation that has always had hip-hop music in my life, it's been like the the soundtrack of my life. You understand what I'm saying? It's always been rap and R&B hip-hop music for me. I don't. I don't need the Grammy's validation. They failed on so many past award shows that they have no credibility when it comes to telling me what was the best album, let alone what was the best rap album, right? So if they can't get, think about it like this Nas has never won a Grammy. Not a Grammy in terms of best album. He never won best rap song. You know, best rap album. Nas! Afro man has a Grammy, bro. Afro man. Remember the Bama? Because I got her. Because I got her. That Bama has a Grammy. Nas doesn't. Slim. What more do you need to hear? You feel me? Like I said, Macklemore won best rap album just a handful of years ago over Kendrick, Good Kid, Mad City. I mean, so clearly there's a lack of appreciation, a lack of understanding. So, of course, I'm not going to put any weight into what the Grammys say when it comes to the best rap album. And of course, I'm not going to think that they have the capacity, the understanding to appreciate the albums on a large scale when we're talking about best record, best album, best song. Of course not. So just enjoy the show. And think about it like this. Prince has never won best album of the year. Prince, God bless the dead. Best song of the year. Prince has never won. So what are we expecting? You know what I mean? What are we expecting? Of course, they're not gonna fully appreciate an artist like SZA. You know, last year, we all know about the controversy. Personally, I thought anti was better than lemonade, but I'll succeed, I'll take a step back, you know? I understand that lemonade, man, people swear by that joint. That was a, a, a cultural movement. And Beyonce again, she cleaned up all the "quote unquote" Urban Awards, right? But song, record, album of the year. You know, you got you got artists like Adele during her acceptance speech thinking, and Beyonce. I mean, that was crazy, you know. But it was they were placed in uncomfortable positions because the people who make these decisions don't appreciate the music. I try to stay away from culture, right? Because culture has become like a super buzzword now. Like every website is talking about where sports and culture intersect and. Every website and Twitter page and everybody talks about culture. I'm trying to think of another word instead of using culture, but I'm failing miserably at that. But you guys understand what I'm saying? Like hip hop as a as a as a culture. Right. It it's strong, but it's still I don't feel like it, it gets it doesn't receive the 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 necessary respect that it deserves. You know what I mean? And like I said, the Grammys have failed historically when just talking about rap categories. I mean, this year. And yeah, I've, I've lived right outside D.C. for the last 16, 17 years. Full disclosure, right? So I may be a little bit biased on this, but don't tell me that Humble. And shout out to Kendrick. I'm not knocking Kendrick. Humble wasn't a better song than "Crew." Come on, Slim. When "Crew" came out, she see money all around me. And you think of the man. And that joke was the that joke was better. You feel me? But they didn't win. And everybody knew that they weren't going to win that award. You already know coming into it. Oh, okay. Well, best rap. Is, if it's not if Eminem is not nominated for best rap category, if he is, you know he's going to win. If it's not him, it's either going to be Drake or Kendrick or Jay Z. One of those three. Like you, if you're not one of those four artists, you're not going to break through. Doesn't matter what you put out. Similarly, we all knew who was going to win best album of the year. And that's not a knock on Bruno. I see a lot of people on the timeline killing Bruno Mars. I rock with Bruno. You feel me? Bruno Mars is one of the few artists who everybody can appreciate. If Bruno Mars gets his little behind up. You know, people from this part of society all the way to the, the complete opposite. Everybody can get down to Bruno, man. You feel me? So I'm not even knocking him. 24K Magic wasn't necessarily my favorite piece of work by him. But, I, you know, it was cool. But as soon as they had the nominees for the Grammys, everybody knew he was going to win. Everybody. You know, and that's just how they get down. So I'm trying to save everyone's stress because after the award show, of course, everybody is pitching a fit. And, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. And nah, 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 nah. I'm like, Slim. If you don't know this by now, you're not paying attention. So to everyone who was upset this past Sunday that SZA didn't get an award or that Kendrick didn't win best album or that Jay-Z didn't get an award, or if you were upset last year that Beyonce didn't win best album and best song, you got to pay attention. Don't let them keep playing you. They understand how popular these artists are. That's why they are always there. That's why they always perform either just watch the Grammys for the performances or don't watch at all because you're wasting your energy getting upset when these people have told us time and time again, they don't either. They don't care or they just don't comprehend. And it's probably the former, right? They just don't care. They care about those ratings. They care about those eyeballs and they care about the reaction. You know, Think those members of the 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 Grammy uh, uh, the people who throw the Grammys when they see that, that the Grammys are trending and all these people are upset. It doesn't matter if you are upset with the awards and how it went down, especially if you're going to watch back watch next year. I'm sure they were they were a little nervous after the whole Beyonce thing this year. Like oh man, are we are we going to People going to watch? And you know people still tuned in. If you have a problem with something, don't continue to feed the beast. Either be like me, watch the Grammys and just enjoy the performances and pay no mind to who wins or. Just take the Grammys out of your out of your mind completely, because what other people think should not matter to you, the consumer. If you like something, you like it. Do I feel bad for artists? Sure. I'm sure they they would like to get that validation. They would like to be um, acknowledged by their peers, you know what I mean? Like we've been told forever that the Grammys is the the highest mark in music, right? The highest accolade you can achieve in the music industry is to receive a Grammy. That's what we've been told. But one beautiful thing about the hip hop community is that we flip stuff all the time. Just because this is something that has always been doesn't mean that's how we receive it. You know, if you're short, people still call you big man. If you if you fat, people call you slim. Right. Something we we will call something tough. Something can be tough. And that's a positive, man. That's tough right there. That's hard. We flip things all the time. So it's about time we start flipping. This idea that the Grammys are the end all be all because it's not. And they've shown us time and time again, they don't care about us anyway. Hopefully you guys continue to care about me and the show. Make sure you guys email me at at quarterlyreport@gmail.com Every other week, I have a segment called Stoppage Time where I read some of the emails and give you guys my take, answer your questions, whatever the case may be. So make sure you email me at at quarterlyreport@gmail.com and make sure you follow me on Twitter, We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. You can tweet at me. I do a lot of live tweets. um, The whole nine, man. So get involved with me on all your different social media platforms. All right, guys, you heard the horn. So, of course, that means it's halftime. Um, This week on halftime, we're going to revisit one of my favorite games. It's a game that I created a few months ago, but with the Hall of Fame announcement, coming around the corner i thought it was perfect to revisit this game and of course this game is did ray lewis really say that the rules are very simple i read a bunch of quotes and you and your friends or whomever listening to this podcast have to answer this one simple question did ray lewis indeed say this take a listen Welcome to the game
0: Sweeping the Nation. It's called, Did Ray Lewis Really Say That The rules are very simple. I read a quote, and you at home, tell me if Ray Lewis really said that Here's today's quote. Did Ray Lewis, while speaking in front of the Miami Hurricanes football team, brag about using all of his brain and the fact that he's willing to make the ultimate sacrifice versus the Pittsburgh Steelers? If you guessed that Ray Lewis did say that, you'd be correct. Take a listen.
2: How much of our brains are we really going to use? I use mine to tell somebody today, September 11th, when I step on the field against the Pittsburgh Citizens, if that's what God will is, there's no other man out there willing to give up what I'm willing to give up.
0: There's no doubt in my mind that his ass is 100% crazy. All right. See you next time for the game Sweeping the Nation. Did Ray Lewis really say that?
1: God bless Ray Lewis, Joe. I mean, honestly, how amazing will Ray Lewis's Hall of Fame speech be? Because you know he's bringing out all of the fireworks, all of the special effects. Slim, I, I can't, I don't know if I can say I can't wait because I don't know if I have the capacity to watch and listen to all of Ray Lewis's Hall of Fame speech. But I do know whether I listen to a second or I watch all of it on a loop. I know it's going to be amazing. Let me give you. So, you know, to, to do time, you know, I'm, I'm searching YouTube. You understand? And I'm checking out all these like funny or long You know, Ray Lewis's Ray Lewis quotes. Right. And I mean, there's so many of them. And he's talking to Charlie Rose. He's giving a TED talk. It's a lot, a lot of Ray Lewis, uh, like Ray Lewis speeches and sound bites that exist online, as you would imagine. And so, you know, I'm saving some of these for like future halftimes and I'm laughing so hard initially. But here's the scary thing. Right. The longer I listen, I mean, it's a rabbit hole. You go searching for Ray Lewis sound bites. I mean, you'll have the, enjoy your day. Because that's all you're going to do for hours, at least for me. But the scary thing I felt was, after a while, I went from like laughing, and just like, yo, this guy's nuts, into being like, ready to run through a wall for Ray Lewis. (laughs) I'm being dead ass. This dude's got, it's a gift. Or maybe I'm just weak. I don't know what it is, but I mean, instantly, initially, I'm laughing because I'm like, yo, this stuff is so absurd. But the longer I listen to Ray Lewis, I become like mesmerized, hypnotized by like his word salad of just mumbo jumbo. And then all of a sudden you feel inspired. You know what he's done, what he does really well? He changes his inflection. Like, sometimes it gets real down like this. And then all of a sudden, he's just yelling at you. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yo, yeah, let's go, right? You know what I liken it to? When I was a kid, and if you listen to this podcast for any time, I think I've probably mentioned it before. I used to love professional wrestling. I'm talking about love pro wrestling. Up until, like, I was, like, 18, 19 years old, I was in it. And, like, my favorite wrestler when I was a kid, like a little boy, was the ultimate warrior. The ultimate warrior made no damn sense. But when you're a kid, you're listening to him, he's got the face paint and he's screaming and like snarling and growling and all this stuff. You're like, yo, that's what's up. But he's talking about making the ultimate sacrifice, crashing planes in the Pontiac Silverdome. He's talking all types of crazy stuff. And that's what Ray Lewis is. Ray Lewis is the ultimate warrior. God bless the dead, mind you. So, yeah, I can't wait for the Hall of Fame speech. I don't know if the world is ready, but I damn sure know Ray Lewis and that Beijing, he coming with the A game, Joe. Ted Talk at the Hall of Fame. God bless it. All right, guys, that's enough about that. That's enough about the first half and halftime. We've got two quarters left, starting with our third quarter. This week, our special guest this week, correspondent from Black Sports Online, Ms. Erica Fernandez. Third. My next guest is a correspondent for Black Sports Online, also a co-host of the podcast Uploaded with Tasha and Erica. You can catch that on iTunes and anywhere else you listen to podcast. Miss Erica Fernandez. Erica, how are you doing? And thank you for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report.
0: I'm very well. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well. Very excited about this interview, actually. And, um, you know, we're about two weeks removed from Errol Spence's... um, Dominant performance over DC area, DC native, I should say, fighter Lamont Peterson. Um, it was a year, he was almost off for a year after winning the title from Caleb Brook back in early, let's say March 2017. But, you know, he silenced any doubts that there may have been on his performance. So I'm curious, two questions since you were there covering the fight for BSO. Number one, how impressed were you by Spence just in? in-ring performance I mean we all know he's a great fighter uh knocking on the door of being a top three pound for pound fighter so that's number one and number two uh, the only knock anyone can really have when Spence is his inactivity are you one of the people who feels like you know he needs to get in the ring more often no matter who he fights even if he's beating up you know to hands or that you've you know, you think that iron sharpens iron, and if he really has desires of being the best fighter in the world, the only way you really can achieve that is by beating other top fighters.
0: Um, I would say that I was super impressed with Errol Spence Jr. I, like, it's crazy because during the media, the the final press conference, everyone was swarming around him. Right. And I'm like, you know what, let me go talk to Lamont. Because I saw <laughs> him, he was standing around. Like, right. With, you know, with his crew and stuff on his trainer. So, by all means, I was like, let me, this is my, this is my chance to actually get some questions because there's no one around. Right. So, he knew what was at stake as well. He says that, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he said he knew that he was coming in as an underdog. Um, right. People definitely saw that Errol was going to win. And I feel like deep down, you know, all our parents tell us, you're a winner, you're a winner, but sometimes you really got to be like, damn, I got to give it up to the person who gets me. Right. Spence showed so much. Feet in the ring, like his footwork, those jabs, those hooks, it's like he really, really, really even knocked the hell out of his training. So I think, to answer your question as well, regarding Keith Thurman, I'm happy that someone brought it up in the press conference, and then, of course, Keith Thurman tweeted about it, like, you know, your your turn will come soon, and obviously, you know, that fight's been set. Right. He even said he's like it's probably he's like he's not even one time he's sometimes so obviously <laughs> he's also dabbing into the into the trash talk. I don't really consider Errol too much of a trash talk. I feel like he's such a humble guy and he really puts his gloves in the ring, and that's what the, that's the only statement he really came to make. But I was super impressed also with the sportsmanship between these two boxers. Like I have never seen that. That's what yeah. that sentence sounds like. They were many things, you know, giving it up to each other. And I don't even think right. a lot of people know this, but Lamont used to spar with Errol. right Spence, yep. And I'm am assuming that probably during his Olympian times. I want to say, yeah. Uh, well, arrows arrows um Olympian times, but you know it was it was like you know teacher versus pupil. Now let's see if you learned anything. And ultimately the reins are going to be passed down to newer generations. That's something that, you know, we can't avoid age. That's something that's going to come inevitably. But I really love, if anything I can grab from this fight, is definitely the act of sportsmanship. And a lot of people were commenting on that, that there wasn't anything, there was no bad blood during the press conferences or even their weigh-ins. Everything was just like, oh, we're about to fight. All right, cool, let's just be professionals. Let's just talk smack. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it is refreshing. Um, you know, Lamont and Spence two of my, my favorite fighters. Obviously, I'm located right outside the D.C. area, so there is an affection there for Lamont. And, um, you know, it, it, it's good to see that, you know, we're so accustomed to boxers talking a lot of trash and all the stunts at weigh in press conferences. These two guys obviously had a lot of respect for one another, and they just, you know, they did their talking with their hands. And, you know, no, not to discredit Lamont because he, he put forth a, a great effort, but they're just on two different levels. Arrow is a, a top pro, Not You can't even call him a prospect anymore. He's a top-level fighter in Lamont. You may have to start thinking about whether it's time to call it quits. All right, guys, once again, I'm joined by my guest this week, Ms. Erica Fernandez. You can follow her on Twitter. She's at Curls in Sports. You've seen her all over the place. She's a correspondent for BSO and the co-host of her own podcast uploaded with tasha and erica you can check out that podcast anywhere you listen to podcast um so you know you mentioned keith thurman and i definitely want to pivot to that um keith is the lineal welterweight champion and you know the question has to be asked like arrow has been calling out keith thurman for years even before either of them had won a championship and you know the whole idea of pbc right was to get all these great fighters together under one umbrella and give the fans the fights that they want to see. You know, boxing had been so political over the past handful of years. So, you know, the idea, considering that Keith and Errol are both PBC fighters, this should be a fight that's easily done. You know, we should be able to have been seeing this fight, really, because Errol has been calling out uh, Keith, but it hasn't happened. So I got to ask you, do you feel that Keith is ducking Spence?
0: I want to say he's not ducking him as hard as, as Danny Garcia is ducking him. Yeah. Like it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. Swift wants no problem with Spence. And that hurts, too, because I like Danny as a fighter, but he doesn't want no smoke with Arrow.
0: And it's like you love, like you know, it's a family. But I mean, his father is a spicy man. He right. Will curse you out, which I love because it's you know right. he really gets his family involved, and it's like you know you got you got somebody good in your corner. Not to say that friends and other extended family isn't great, but who better than a mother and a father to have in your corner? I and he and even um I was just called out Danny Garcia at the press conference. He was naming his name again, so it's like is this going to happen or uh, i think that the only way it'll happen if it's mandated
1: (laughs) which is unfortunate because danny he's a PPC fighter too and you know when you look on paper garcia and thurman you know you would you would think that he would be a, a a good matchup for spence and you know like i said with keith and you know when keith fought danny it was a really fun fight and i'm curious your thoughts on this uh keith you know outside of Earl, keith has fought everybody you know he fought danny he fought sean in two really fun exciting fights um again he's the lineal welterweight champion but Earl is coming and i wonder is he putting himself and his name and his reputation in an otherwise really successful career at risk by avoiding or at least what it seems like avoiding Earl spence is he running the risk of you know, being looked at as an afterthought.
0: I completely agree. And, you know, you with know his tweet, like, what, 25 minutes or so after the fight? It's clear he had been watching the fight. Like, that's an horrible right. end. But I don't think at this point he's ducking in too much. But, we, you know, there's always an argument for that. But, yes. obviously, you know, I don't even think that Keith is ready for any fight. Yeah. And I think I forgot when the fights were released um what date he's fighting i want to say he's fighting in may you know he's been he's been missing in action for about a year now fighting arrow would be probably close to to return because it it would be well he's conditioned uh, and you're still trying to condition and you're trying to get back on his level it won't be possible but i but keith thurman is such a great boxer too like you just got to love his enthusiasm for the for the for the sport that not a lot of other boxers could demonstrate. Like he really wants people to be engaged. He loves talking smack. <laughs> and I
2: think
0: he does it so well.
2: Once again guys I'm joined by Erica Fernandez. You can follow her on Twitter. She's at Curls in Sports. Super dope fun follow. Uh talks about all types of things, not just boxing, basketball, entertainment, the whole nine. Really fun follow. Also the co-host of Uploaded with Tasha and Tasha and Erica excuse me. Make sure you listen to that podcast as well. All right, Erica. So we we talked about boxing, and I'm a huge boxing head. But the one sport I love more than boxing is the NBA. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I'm a Knicks fan. You know, you you re, you reside in New York. You know, I'm outside of DC. Um, so I'm curious. With the trade deadline approaching, you know, New York has some um, they've got some interesting pieces. They, as we stand right now, are a few games around, roughly four or five games out of the eighth spot. So it's not an insurmountable, you know, um, climb to get to that last spot. However, they also have a lot of young players, um, whether it's Frank, uh, Willie Hernan Gomez, guys who are young that you really kind of want to see if they if they can be uh, pieces in the future. But they're playing behind, you know, good veterans. So with the trade deadline approaching, do you feel that the Knicks should at least go for it as far as that last playoff spot, or do you think they should be more of a sellers and try to move off some of their pieces, like Courtney Lee, Kyle O'Quain.
0: Um, I feel like Courtney Lee's name hasn't been mentioned as often as Kyle O'Quinn's name has been mentioned within the trade.
2: Right. But
0: it sucks because, you know, the Knicks looked so good in November, and then December came along, and they haven't yeah. really quite recuperated, which is something that I've noticed only I'm not an Knicks fan to be 100 yeah. honest, but I have no trust to keep up with it. <laughs> but right, right. it's a it's a trend I've been noticing in the past few years, and
2: yeah.
0: it's really something like they can't just grasp that 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 lead. And even during you know I feel like there's not even halftime adjustments made either because it's always a third quarter collapse, and it's not <laughs> always it's not always. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a popular joke now. Like, oh, the Knicks
1: lost. What happened in the third quarter? Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's and, and the worst thing is it's been the same story, the same song and dance my entire life. The Knicks will will be looking great in the first half, and then they'll score like seven points in the third quarter, and then, you know, it's over. So, you know, unfortunately, the Knicks are still the Knicks, no matter if they are buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. Poor me. Poor me. Anyway, on a much lighter note, once again, guys, this is my guest this week, Miss Erica Fernandez. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at Curls in Sports. Super fun follow. She talks boxing, basketball, baseball right around the corner and all things in between. So you're definitely going to want to follow her. She's a correspondent for Black Sports Online and the co-host of Uploaded with Tasha and Erica. Very fun podcast. Make sure you check that out. Erica, thank you so much for joining me this week on the quarterly report. Of course. All right, guys. So we are three quarters down with only one quarter left. Let's finish up strong with our last topic this week. Fourth quarter. Earlier in the show, I talked about Blake Griffin and how the the Pistons acted out of desperation in trading for the former star. But there is another side of this trade that I think people need to really think about and understand. Um, in the NBA, life moves very, very fast And the window of opportunity will shut on you Before you even realize And I, I, I'm, I've thought about this As you guys know, I live right outside of the D.C. area um, And you know, John Wall One of my favorite players in the league He reportedly will be down anywhere between 6 to 8 weeks Because he's getting a knee scope And, you know, in past weeks, if you follow me on Twitter, again, you can follow the show at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. I've talked about how, you know, I feel that the Wizards, I feel like their roster isn't built properly. Like the roster configuration is flawed. And I came to that conclusion because when you look at the NBA landscape, and not just now, but throughout its entirety, when teams build, right, their team with their guards being the players with the highest usage, meaning the guys who take the most shots, the the guys who have the ball in their hands the most, right? When you build your team through your guards, it never amounts to success. It just doesn't. Not on the highest level. Are there, are there exceptions? Yeah, and the exception is Steph Curry, James Harden. Like, those are the exceptions. Michael Jordan... He was a two guard. His his point guards during his that those championship eras were, you know, Steve Kerr, Ron Harper, B.J. Armstrong. I mean, I, the the Pistons, the Pistons. I guess you could make a case of, uh, of being, you know, another exception. You know, Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars. But that was a team that was built through their defense. But if you wanted to give me the Pistons as an example, sure. So that's three teams. You know find me some more so again and that's going back decades now If you look at today's nba again unless you think john wall and or bradley bill are the same caliber of player that steph curry a two-time league mvp probably at this point point in time a top 30 player of all time and that's me being conservative or you think john wall and or bradley bill are the same caliber of player as is james Harden. Right, the, the player who probably wins MVP this year, who's finished first runner up twice already, then you're saying that they're closer to Damian Lillard and CJ McCullum and Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, guys who, whose teams are good, good enough to get to the playoffs, maybe in the, in the Raptors' case, good enough to get to the conference championship, but we know they all have a ceiling. And they all have, everybody has a clock. You know, people forget, man, in D.C., I feel like people forget, like, the Wizards, this core has been together for a while now. You know, it, it, it seems like just yesterday, but it's like five years ago, if not more, five, I believe, when, you know, the, these Wizards lost to Paul George and the Indiana Pacers in the second round. Now, remember when the Wizards finally broke through and made that playoffs those playoffs and they beat the Chicago bulls in the first round. They swept them. I want to say, right. Or they won in five, but I think they swept them and then they played the Pacers, and they played the Pacers tough. And it was like, yo, this wizard team, they're young, they're fun. And we don't know, we don't even know if they're scratching the surface. And then they followed that season up right with another trip to the second round. And if John wall doesn't get hurt, they probably go to the conference championship. But they ended up losing to Atlanta, and you know injuries happen. You can't excuse them. You can't act like you know it's just some fluke. It happens. It happens to every every team every year has a catastrophic injury. You know there's just no denying it. So the moment the Wizards lost to the Hawks, that's when you start the clock. You're like okay, this team's for real. This team has a core. This team could have been to the could have went to the conference championship. Okay. This isn't this is a fool's gold. Let's start the clock now. So after two successful playoff runs, two runs going to the second round again, one year had John not gotten hurt. They would probably go to the conference championship. How do they follow that up? They follow that up by missing the playoffs altogether. <laughs> they just didn't go to the playoffs. They went 41 and 41 and. Much like this year. That whole year they were talking about, hey, we're just gonna bring the band back. We're just gonna continuity is our it's what we're gonna focus on. And they didn't understand that the entire conference got better. So while the Wizards a year prior, they were good enough to really be a threat, everybody else got better and they stood packed, so of course they get left behind. So then that and then so that's that's three years, right? Then last year happened. And again, they had an opportunity, have a brand new head coach. Otto Porter got better. Bradley Beal played amazing last year. John Wall got better. Everybody got better. And they had another opportunity to get to the conference championship, and they lost to a bad Boston Celtic team. People forget because Boston was the number one seed in the East last year. Boston would have gotten swept out the playoffs in the first round had John Ray- Rondo not gotten hurt. And again, injuries happen. They took advantage of it. They didn't get swept. Rondo got hurt, and the Celtics won the rest of those games in that first round series, and then they beat the Wizards. But it's important to highlight that because the Wizards stood pat, whereas the Celtics understood that that was a flawed team. It was built on a flawed foundation that Isaiah Thomas, a little point guard, could carry the load, and that, that, that that was sustainable. So while the Wizards thought, hey, man, look at us. We were one game away from getting to the conference championship. We're going to stand pat." They didn't learn from their history. The Celtics were like, no, oh, this, the way we have built our team, it's problematic. It's not sustainable. We got to fix it. And look at what the Celtics did this past all season and compare it to what the Wizards did. The Celtics is like, nah, bro, we are doing this over. And the Celtics somehow have more flexibility more picks more more potential growing potential than the, than the Wizards do the Wizards basically was like hey let's bring everybody else back and it, and not only that let's give let's give everybody a raise and bring them back where the Celtics moved their best player they moved the pick they got Kyrie Irving they signed Gordon Hayward in the in free agency they got more picks they drafted Jason Tatum I mean, the Celtics in one offseason turned themselves into a dominant powerhouse in the, in the league, not just for a year, but for future years to come, whereas the Wizards stood pat. And I I, I highlight the Wizards, obviously, because I watch them other than my Knicks more than anybody else. And the Wizards are such an interesting team. The, the entire, everything about them is fascinating to me. But I go back to the Clippers because – when they traded Blake this week, it was kind. It signed It signaled an end of an era, and the Clippers were, in a lot of ways, what I feel like the Wizards are. The Clippers, in my opinion, it was clear two years ago that they should have blew up the Clippers. The whole Big Three Live City thing. They had a run, but it was clear it was not going to work. It was not going to move forward. But everybody kept on saying, Nah, if you're the Clippers, you gotta, you gotta give it one more year. You gotta bring the group. Bring the troops back together. See if you can do it. And again, back to my original point, man. The, the environment, the ecosystem that is the NBA, man, it moves so fast. You keep on thinking you got one more year. And before you know it, you got your best player either wanting to leave or is injury prone, right? His trade value was plummeted. You got someone who's disgruntled, someone who was happy. You got apathy running throughout your fan base and you have no moves. The cap space is dried up. You got nothing. So you got to strike when the iron is hot. Do what Boston did. Boston didn't just settle. They weren't just happy that they got there. They were like, okay, we got here, but this isn't going to work. This is a flawed way. We have built this roster. Let's change it up. Variety is the spice of life, man. In the NBA, it's key. The moment you settle, the moment you think that you've got it, the moment you think that you can rest, somebody is aiming for you and they will take your spot. Trust and believe. For years, for years, everybody was saying, ah, oh, man, you know, for the Clippers, they just got to gotta keep the band together, man. Nah, don't blow it up just yet, right? If everybody is healthy, oh, man, if they, they just needed one more run, one more piece, if the Clippers can just get that one piece, keep it together, all the signs were telling you. Now, nah, this is a problem. This isn't going to happen. The Clippers, for, for years, six, five, six years, couldn't get to the conference championship despite having one of the best point guards in the league, despite having multiple all stars. Does this sound familiar? Despite having a high payroll, despite having one of the best starting fives in the entire league, but had no bench. I'm telling you, the, the the parallels between the Clippers and the Wizards are clear. If you are a Wizard fan, you should look at what has happened to the Clippers in the last eight months and be like, okay, that's what we can't have happen to us. Because Chris Paul left and you got ten cents on a dollar. You got Patrick Beverly and Sam Decker for Chris Paul. Think about that. You traded. And, and he went within the conference. And look at Houston now. And what did you get in return for one of the 10 best players in this league? And then before the all-star break, you trade Blake Griffin. Because it was clear you couldn't sustain it. Blake can't be the number one guy. He puts up great numbers. He's an all-star caliber player. He can't carry the load as the guy. Listen to the similarities. I'm not going to call out names. You can put two and two together. And then you're left with the last all-star, the guy who's underrated because he specializes in things that people don't properly value. So you can't get anywhere close to equal value for DeAndre Jordan. Not to mention, he's got a player option for the next season, so he can leave for nothing if you don't move him. Listen to the similarities. Every year for the last five, six years, people have been telling you that the Clippers just need this one more piece. They just need this. The Clippers haven't appreciated the draft well. The Clippers haven't paid attention. They didn't draft well. They traded their picks. They couldn't build a, a bench. They were they were they had their backs up against the salary cap. They couldn't make moves. And before you knew it, their window had officially closed. I'm speaking to the Wizards right now because I live right outside of D.C., but there are other NBA teams who need to take heed and pay attention to what happened with the Clippers because it happens all the time. You think you've got so much time ahead of you that you don't realize that the time has is, is, is leaving at a rapid speed. You have no idea how quick the door, the window closes in the NBA. So instead of staying pat. Instead of thinking, hey, man, let's bring the game back together and doing that another year and then a year after that and another year. This has been four years for the Wizards, four with this group, and that's not counting the first year. You start the clock when they lost to Atlanta. And what's been the big change? What's been the big upgrade? Markeith Morris? I don't know. You can either be the Clippers Or you can be the Celtics. I'll let you decide which one is the better path. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the quarterly report. I've had a really fun show. Thanks again to Erica Fernandez from Black Sports Online. Make sure you follow her at Curls in Sports. It was really fun to have everyone talking boxing and the Knicks. And as well as the Grammys, the Wizards, Blake Griffin. It was a really exciting show this week. Make sure you guys let me know your thoughts on the show, any topic that I did talk about, or maybe a topic that I missed. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at me at quarterlyshow, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, show. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Go to iTunes to the podcast directory. Search quarterlyreport, again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, You'll see the icon with my face on the coin. Click on that. Subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. Let the world know how much you enjoyed the show. And let me know how much by leaving a review. If you don't mind, give me a five-star rate and review the show as well, all on iTunes. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. And I'll see you right back here next Thursday on The Quarterly Report.